Well, hello, everybody. It's great to be with you today. My name is Eric. I am one of the pastors here on staff. And today is a great day for a number of reasons. One, because you are with us. And that makes me super excited. We got people that are joining us from screens and rooms and places and families and Facebook and whatever means that you are joining us. That just makes us thrilled that you would take time out of your schedule, and we hope today would encourage you in your spiritual journey. But also on top of that, there are some rooms around our church that are actually gathering together or pre-gathering, I think is the way we're, we're calling it, where people are starting to get together. We're opening up uh, the rooms for people, and so families are there at, you know, out at Woodbridge or Sloan Creek or Richardson, and so we are so excited about that as well as here at Legacy as well. So that is exciting, and on top of that... If that wasn't enough, Richardson, our campus in Richardson, is celebrating their two-year anniversary. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's just crazy how time flies when you're having fun. So a special hello and thanks to you guys. It is great to be with you here today. I have to admit that when I found out that the name of the series that I would be speaking in would be called Going There... My first thought wasn't necessarily about like highly charged issues that are facing our culture today. My first thought was it would be nice to go somewhere, like anywhere. Uh, It'd be nice to get out. In in the Torrance household, the walls are kind of closing in over the past few months, if, uh, if you can kind of relate to that a little bit. We have in our house three kids that are under the age of six which means that going anywhere before COVID was already kind of a challenge, let alone when the pandemic hit. And so we would love to go to some different places. In fact, I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice if at any point you could just yell out a nice, rejuvenating, refreshing place and poof, you wind up there. I think it's worth a shot. And so whatever you are right now, I want you to yell out the most rejuvenating, refreshing place in the world that you can think of. Go for it. All right. Did it work? (laughs) Are you there? A bummer. (laughs) Sorry about that. I mean, maybe it did and you don't hear me anymore. And so enjoy it wherever you're at. Just enjoy it. I I asked a bunch of friends where were some different places that they would go uh, if they could. And so a few of the ones that we got. Well, this one is Banff, uh, which is up in uh, Canada and is now on your bucket list. I am assuming with the bluest lake that I've ever seen. There was more than a number of people that said a beach. This one's in the Grand Cayman Islands, which is pretty nice, you know, not too bad. More than a few people also said someplace in Middle Earth, um, which I didn't, you know, didn't know what to do with that, but it's technically New Zealand, right? So that counts, and New Zealand's a beautiful place to go. Wherever it is, there are some something rejuvenating that happens in our soul when we get outside. In fact, I think part of the problem of why COVID has been such a struggle for so many of us is that we've been stuck behind a screen for a long time and we just need to get out. We need to go there, uh, go somewhere. And I think people are starting to figure this out. I mean, you probably could have guessed this, but uh, RV rentals have gone up by 1600% since April. And so people are going there and maybe you're watching this from an RV and good on you on that as well. There's something great about nature. Talking about nature is easy. I mean, there's nothing much more controversial than maybe are you a mountain person or if you're a beach person. But as soon as someone says one of these three words, environmentalism, global warming, fracking. I'm not even sure I should say that word in church. It just sounds bad (laughs) to say it out loud. I get a little bit of a sweat. 
As soon as someone says one of these three words or maybe something like it, it all of a sudden becomes way more charged, which is really, really interesting. And so today we're going to go there. Uh, we're going to talk about the environment and issues that relate to the environment and really discuss hey, how should Christ followers think about some of these issues that our culture is talking about, particularly the environment. And with that, uh, maybe related to it, is on the scale of all the different issues that we face in our culture, all of the different issues that we face in our lives, at what level of priority uh, should issues of the environment really take up? That's a great question to ask. Now, um, full disclosure right from the start, because uh, I have to make a few uh, probably disclaimers on that. Uh, some of you might be wondering, where is he going with this? You're probably trying to sense if there's a hidden agenda. You're like, I knew it. He grew out his beard because he's turning into a hippie. I knew it. <laughs> like, it's just starting to happen there. You're seeing if I'm wearing Birkenstocks or not. I'm not, but maybe you're checking that out. So a couple of disclaimers at the start. Uh, I am not a scientist. I am not an environmental expert. Uh, I'm just a fellow journeyer who is trying to figure this stuff out uh, along with all of you guys as well. I've got a long ways to go, uh, and I've got a lot to learn. And so I'm learning just along uh, with you, particularly in this subject. A second thing is I'm not trying to get you to vote a particular way. As Jeff talked about at the beginning of this series, there are uh, a lot of different practical applications that come about uh, from taking biblical principles. And there are people on both sides of the aisle who are trying to be part of the solution. So I'm not trying to get you uh, to vote a certain way. But I do have an agenda. And I don't want it to be hidden at all. And the agenda is is for me to kind of disappear from this talk a bit. Um, nobody woke up this morning, I don't think, wondering what Eric Torrance thinks about the environment. If you did, that's a little creepy to me, to be honest. No one's thinking about what I have to do, and I, I wouldn't really be minded if you didn't care, because it's just me. But if you're a Christ follower, uh, we should care what, what God has to say about it. And so my agenda is to try to take a look at what God's Word says, what the Bible says about it, because as Christ followers, we should care about that. And if you're watching and you're not a Christ follower, we're so glad that you are checking this out. My, my guess is at the very minimum you're curious about what the Bible says because there's so many different narratives that are out there today. And so let's try to examine this together to see what we can learn, how we can journey uh, with each other and see what the Bible has to say. The great thing about looking at the environment when uh, it comes to the Bible is you don't have to look very far. In fact, it pops up right when humans enter into the story of Scripture, which is in Genesis chapter 1, and this is what it says. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Um, right away in this first part of scripture, we see that there are three different relationships that pop up uh, as God created humans, people uh, to have. Uh, perhaps you picked up on it. You see people to God that we are made in the image of God. And we'll talk more about that in a second. 
You also see that there are people to people, that male and female, he created us to be in relationship with one another. And then we also see people to the rest of creation. Now, I've grown up in church, uh, and I work (laughs) at a church. I've heard a bunch of messages on people to God. I've probably heard an equal amount of messages about people to people. But isn't it interesting that when it comes to trying to think of messages or even topics or discussions in church that have to do with people to the rest of creation, that tends to be one that I just haven't heard as much about, which makes me a little nervous, by the way, of giving a talk on something that I've never spoken on before. I did word this this way uh, on purpose, that it's people to the rest of creation because people are created too. We are actually uh, a part of creation. That none of us, no one that's watching, has the ability to make something out of nothing. Uh, You can't breathe life into something and make it start to live. At least if you can, I would love to see that. All of us are people that are created. Uh, In fact, when you look at Genesis chapter 1, there's a whole account of different days. And again, there's lots of great opinions on exactly how uh, that works out. But in that account, there are different days that God does some creative work. And it's really interesting because when you look at it, people don't even get their own day. Like uh, when it comes to the created stuff that's on the ground, uh, including the slug, uh, you and I were created on the same day as the slug. Now, I kind of want my own day. I kind of think I deserved my own day, but I didn't make up the rules and neither did you. So all of us were created in a sense with all of the other creation and we were kind of lumped in in some ways with the slug. But there is a distinctiveness uh, to us as well. And we see it in here that Uh, People were made in God's image in the image of God. He created us. What does that mean? And that's a really good question to ask Um, We are distinct and in uh, that distinction uh, God uses the word image of God and back in the time that Genesis was written Rulers of different lands would carve out statues of themselves and they would place them in all over the lands that they were ruling in because the idea was was there was no internet or news or tv no one knew that they were actually in charge and so they would put these different statues all around the world or all around their territory to make sure that when people entered into that territory they would know that this is who was ruling it and so what we see from this passage is that god doesn't need different stone statues of himself put around the world he's got you He's got me. And that people, in a unique way, reflect his rule, reflect his responsibility, reflect his power to a watching world. We do that in the way that we express ourselves creatively. We do that in the way that we have capacity for relationships. We do that in the way that we have uh, soul awareness. This distinction is really, really important. Because throughout human history, some of the worst atrocities that have happened have happened as a result of people forgetting or people treating other people as less than. As people saying that this is not someone that is an image bearer, but instead that this is somebody that is a piece of property to be moved and traded or an object to be used and consumed and mistreated and then discarded. It's why when we run into issues like 
American slavery that treated Africans as property or sex trafficking. And I would even lump in pornography in there as well that treats human beings as objects to be desired, objects to look at, objects to consume and then discarded. It's why when we hear about stories of people with intellectual uh, challenges or uh, people who are poor uh, or people who are of a different race than maybe uh, the majority culture that is in or uh, people uh, who are elderly. When we hear stories of those people who are mistreated or uh, treated as less than that should stir something in our souls because it is an assault on the image of God. On how every person was created. Now, the thing I'm going to, I need to move on, but before I do, I need to say something that, before I say it, people that are watching, you're probably going to agree with me when you hear it first off. And that is that you are significant and that you are special, that you are worthy of love and dignity and respect. But the reason why I'm pausing is that we can believe that up here. But what happens in our hearts is that at some point in our story, probably, to be honest, at some point in your last week, there has been something that has happened to you or someone has said something to you that has torn away at your self-worth and at your dignity. I would ask in that moment, especially if it's said by another person, To maybe have a thought in your head that says, okay, that other person, they carry the image of God too, but they were also created on the same day as the slug. And I would rather take in what the God of heaven designed into me. I'd rather take that truth and marinate it in my soul than let what the words of other people or the actions of other people turn or tear away at the God-given image that has been placed on me. Some of you need to hear that today because that self-worth is worth clinging on to. And when that gets stripped away from us, that is an assault on how God created you and how he created us to work and live in this world. So there is a distinction that's important. We don't want to miss that distinction. It doesn't mean that there's ever a place for cruel or mistreatment of animals. We'll see that in a second. But it does mean that we never want to forget that distinction. But with that distinction, there's also a directive that is important for us to have as well. In fact, we see this directive. Some of you kind of remember this a little bit uh, when we came through. You're like, that sounds kind of harsh. Uh, so let's go back to it in a second. And that is when God said that he made us in our image so that they, us, may rule over the fish and the animals and all that stuff. So some of us, that word rule just really kind of like, oh, that, that, that sounds pretty harsh. There's others of us, probably me included, that would say, hey, that sounds pretty nice. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not too bad. That's right. I, I thought I was here to rule something. You know, in history, uh, and oftentimes actually in church circles, Uh, The word rule here has been used as a justification uh, for people to kind of view creation as something to exploit, to view the created world as something that we can consume as merely here for human enjoyment. But then, you know what, that's all it's there for and we can discard it when we move along. But I think that's a really bad take on what the word rule in this passage means. And here's two reasons why. Uh, The first reason is that we just 
talked about it with we were made in the image of God. So if we're going to rule, you have to look at, well, how is God ruling? Like, what is it that God does when he is using his power in the world? And throughout the pages of Scripture, what we see time and time again is a God who is not exploitive, a God who is not about himself or holding on to his own power or self-serving. We see a God who is giving, a God who is generous, a God who gave up comfort to take on creation so that you and I would know him. And so on the first hand, that should be good enough by itself as a good reason to say, okay, that's probably not what it means. But if that wasn't a good enough reason, we also have this in the just one chapter later. Uh, God is using, a, again, the creation story of Adam and Eve. And we see that God placed Adam uh, in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And so as we think about the word ruling, we have to qualify it with what does it mean to rule in light of tending and keep it. And so historically and kind of popularly, and you may have heard this word before, there is, uh, there's been a word that we've used to balance uh, this idea of ruling, but also this idea of serving. And the word that we've used, uh, the word of what God has called you and I to do as we look at his creative world, is that we're stewards. We're stewards. Let me illustrate what a steward is. Some of you may have heard it. It sounds like kind of an older term, though, too. So let me illustrate it this way. I am a big uh, Dallas Mavericks basketball fan. Uh, can I get a Luca in whatever room that you're in? Hashtag Luca Legend. Hashtag Holly Luca. But, you know, that's another thing for another time. I'm a big Mavs fan. And so uh, as a fan, uh, I particularly enjoy the ability that I get to cheer when things are going well. I also really like it, I mean, kind of deep down. I really like the idea that I get to complain when things are not going well. I love getting to share that in whatever channel, social media, with friends and family. I may show my my fandom by what I purchase. I'll buy some, you know, Mavs jerseys, go get some tickets in normal times, I guess. Um, but that's pretty much the extent of which I can show my uh, my fandom. On the other end of fan, you have the owner. You have Mark Cuban. Uh, he's the head honcho, uh, the big cheese, the one that pays the bills, uh, the guy that goes on Shark Tank. It's not related to the Mavs, but somehow he got it, and that's a nice gig. Uh, Mark Cuban is in charge of everything. But in between the fan and Mark Cuban is a pretty critical role. And the guy that holds that role, his name is Donnie Nelson. Donnie Nelson is the general manager of the Mavericks. He is the one that has been granted authority by the owner to be able to manage and make changes and kind of move pieces around in order to make sure that the team is successful. And so if the team is struggling, Donnie can't act like a fan. Like it's not his, that, that would that would get him fired if he's just like, oh, the team is so terrible, man, you know, posted on social media. You'd be like, yeah, Donnie, that's that's kind of your job, man. <laughs> like you can't just do that. I mean, he'd be all over talk radio and all that. No, when the team is struggling, Donnie's role is to look at the pieces, analyze the trade market, look at upcoming players and draft a player like Luca, you know, to get onto the team because he has been granted authority by the owner in order to help the team be successful. And so when it comes to creation, you and I, I hate to break it, we're not Mark Cuban. <laughs> you don't get to go on Shark Tank in creation. Um, 
We are not the owners. In fact, Scripture lets us know repeatedly that God, while he has you know, created us and we bear the image of God, that he is still the one that's in charge. There's one favorite verse that I, I love. It's from Psalm 50. And this is what the psalmist says of God. He says, every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and get this and the insects in the field, even the beetles and the flies and all that. God says are mine. And then if he didn't get the, you know, the point, he just kind of lays it out. He says the world and all that is in it is mine. We are not the owners. God is. We're also not fans. We're not called to simply go out and post selfies in beautiful parts of nature. That's a great thing to do. It's good to enjoy creation. But we are stewards. We have been empowered by the one who created it all to help move pieces around, to help make it flourish, and ultimately to steward in such a way that brings glory and honor to the one who put us in charge. And the way that we steward will either do that or it won't. And that's the difference between a good steward and a not so good one. So I think a good question for all of us to ask is how can I steward in such a way that brings God the most glory? What does that even look like? And to start, I think a good place to do that is to go back to Genesis 1. And to think of these three relationships that we see there. Because when sin entered into the world, uh, each of these relationships uh, became broken. There became disconnect and discord. There became struggle. And so we are called, in a sense, to engage with all three of these things. Uh, To engage the brokenness that exists between and helping people come to God, helping people reconnect with each other and helping people uh, reconnect and bring healing and restoration and redemption and all that sort of stuff to the rest of creation. But what we'll probably notice is that these three aren't just separate categories. In fact, all three of them are kind of interrelated. It's kind of hard to separate all, all three of them out. Let me give you an example. Back in 2004, uh, Secretary of State Colin Powell declared that there was a genocide that was happening in Darfur. Darfur is a region in western Sudan. Sudan is a country in Africa. And what you need to know about Sudan and Darfur is that the northern part of Sudan is the Sahara Desert. And so what had been happening that's important to the story is that for decades leading up to the conflict that happened in 2003, 2004, for decades leading up to that, the Sahara Desert had been increasing or moving southward by a mile each year. And so what that meant was that resources were starting to literally dry up. If that wasn't enough, the uh, rainfall in that region started, uh, started moving down and decreasing by somewhere between 15 to 30 percent, depending on the year. And so two normal, peaceful people groups that lived in that area suddenly found themselves competing for the diminishing amount of resources in a land that was starting to be plagued by increasing desert, increasing drought, and limited resources. That, uh, that led, in a sense, to more, 
more uh, challenges between the people that lived in that area. And those challenges are actually still happening today. It wasn't just a few years ago that a famine was still uh, declared in that area um, where about 5 million people or 40% of the country uh, is declared to be food insecure, meaning there, there's a big famine that's going on. This is just one of many examples I could name several others where uh, shifts or changes or challenges in the climate exacerbated challenges and conflict between people. And it's a good example to all of us to say that loving people and helping people connect to each other, helping people connect to God is not completely or not at all separate from caring for creation and that uh, and that solutions to all of those are complex and they require complex solutions a lot of times. The great news about it, as you and I think of what it looks like to bring healing and hope and restoration to these three areas, to steward well, in particular to creation, is that God is not some distant, uncaring owner. Uh, he is not from afar saying, well, go figure it out. He is intimately involved today, bringing his healing and his restoration and his goodness to a broken world, including uh, as we work in our broken, created world. But he's inviting us to be a part of it. He's asking us to step into our role and to join him in what he is doing in a broken world. It's why I really love what we saw earlier in the service, if you missed it, about the Here for Good initiative that's going on. Because the idea is, as a church, it's how can we help our neighborhoods and our community flourish and what does it look like? And again, it's so complex that there's sometimes different ways that we need to be involved in there. It's what makes me super excited about uh, the direction of church. So if you've missed uh, that video, just go to hereforgood.chaseoaks.org. Um, because it'll explain and uh, show just so many different ways that we can be involved in our community. But for today, the focus I still wanted to have is, well, what does it look like um, to be a steward specifically when it comes to people to the rest of creation? Um, and again, I don't claim to have all of the answers or know all the best strategies. There's a lot of different ways to do it. But I do think a start is for us to think about well, what does a good steward do <laughs> and to try to do it, uh, do more of that, to try to work on becoming a better steward? And so the first thing that good stewards do, if I can get this to work, is that they're present and available. Good stewards are not hiding out beside, behind some desk somewhere. They are out and about to where they are called to be. And so for some of us, maybe the, the first place that we need to go uh, if we want to be a better steward of the created world uh, is to get outside and to get away from the screen. In fact, I think the Bible actually compels us to do this. Um, uh, a great quote from a book called Sacred Pathways. Uh, it's by Gary Thomas. Uh, Phenomenal author. It's a book about how to connect with God, and there's lots of different ways to do that. But in that book, he talks about connecting with nature, and this is what he said. He said, it should be obvious, though modern conveniences hid the truth from me for a long time, that the Bible is meant to be read outdoors. Many of its illustrations are based on nature, and it is only in the context of nature that they regain their full meaning and force. For instance, the phrase river of life seems quaint when the words are projected on a screen. But its power is nearly overwhelming when you stand by a swiftly flowing river. Green pastures can sound almost postcardish 
until you enter an unspoiled meadow far away from the sound of a highway, a radio, or a ball game. I love that. I think for some of us, we just need to get outside. Not only will it help us be a better steward, it'll help us connect with our creator. That, that is true for my soul as well. And so I encourage you to be present and available. Just open up your heart because it's hard. Uh, it's hard to want to care about something or invest in something if we don't appreciate it uh, first. Next, the best stewards are curious and informed. Uh, if you're a steward, you don't want less information. You want all the information you could get. You may not know always what to do with that information, but you just want all of it to try to process it together. Like, for instance, say you are the owner of uh, maybe a, a bunch of franchises and you had uh, different locations uh, with different managers that were there. It would not be cool with you if one of those managers just claimed to be kind of ignorant. <laughs> like, for instance, if you went to a failing location and you started talking with the manager and you said, you said, hey, what's going on here? Uh, you know, didn't you notice that no one was coming in anymore? And it wouldn't be cool if he was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't see it. Or didn't you notice that the cash register didn't match up with the, the receipts? And you'd be like, eh, yeah, you know, who, who would know these things? You know, that wouldn't be cool. Or, uh, you know, you didn't notice that the bathroom is filthy? And in, in this day and age, that would definitely not fly. The ignorance on the behalf of the manager would just not uh, be what a good steward. An uninformed steward or an uninformed manager in that sense is a soon-to-be unemployed manager. And so we are called, Christ followers are called, to not only be informed, but actually be proactive. And that, that's what you would want with a manager of a location. You would want them not just to be responsible, but you'd want them to actually be studying trends and be looking at where people are at and, and kind of making adjustments and changes as well. Data is our friend. We may not always know what to do with it, but we need to wrestle with it together Data like this, which again, I don't know exactly what to do with all of this, but it's stuff that we have to wrestle with, like 9 out of 10. That 9 out of 10, the World Health Organization right now estimates, 9 out of 10 people in the world breathe unhealthy air. And as a result of that unhealthy, heavily polluted air, they estimate that it leads to uh, 7 million premature deaths worldwide each year. Or like 19 out of 20. That 19 of the 20 warmest years on record have happened since 2001. And that the warmest year that we have on record is 2016. Or 8 inches. That uh, the uh, uh, NASA uh, analyzed it and they believe that the uh, global or the, uh, the, sea, the sea level has risen uh, for the last century over 8 inches worldwide. And that the rate of which the sea level is rising has doubled in the last decades, means, meaning it's accelerating. Also, if you were to look around all the different glaciers, glaciers throughout the world are receding. Or finally, 8 million metric tons. That this is the amount of plastic waste that is estimated to be dumped into the ocean every single year. Uh, to make that maybe just a little bit more real would <laughs> help for me, that that kind of calculates into about 15 large uh, garbage bags of plastic for every few feet of coastline each year. Again, I don't necessarily know uh, what to do with all that. I'm not an expert, um, but I know I need to wrestle with it. And I know I need to ask questions about it. And I know it makes me really grateful 
for Jesus-loving scientists that are out in the world who take the mandate uh, of wanting to tend and care for God's creation. They take it to the degree that is way beyond my brain to where they're analyzing things and getting into the weeds and the details. It just makes me super grateful for them. And so I just need to say, if you're a student who is in school and you're going and pursuing some kind of scientific degree, please keep going. If there was ever a time that we needed more Jesus-loving scientists in the world, we need you. So please keep pressing forward. And if you're a doctor or a nurse or a biologist or a chemist or a climatologist or heaven help us, an epidemiologist, an immunologist. We are so grateful. Like, I want to get you into one big room and give you a big hug, but you would tell me not to do that because it's a pandemic. But so just take this as an air hug that we are so glad that you take that mandate and you put it into practical terms. And sometimes in a community where it gets a science, may, science and religion can sometimes have an awkward relationship. Can we just say that in the mandate of caring for God's creation, we are so grateful for those that press in to the details. And all of us, whether you are a scientist or not, we need to be curious. Because God's called us to be the best stewards are. Finally, best stewards are faithful and hopeful. The best stewards know that they can't do everything. They can't control everything that is happening all around them, all of the, even again in the business illustration, all the economic shifts and everything. We don't control everything, but we are called to be faithful to do something. And that's certainly true in the world when it comes to being a steward of the rest of creation. That I can't change all of the different trends, but I can be faithful today. Like for me personally, as I was looking at those different stats that were up there, the one that stuck out just initially for me was the one on plastic. And it made me realize just how often I go through those, pla- and I'm not shaming anybody, it's just for me, like how often I go through those plastic water bottles. I would say it's from convenience, but a lot of times, honestly, it's just because I didn't want to go to the effort to go get something else. And so my wife has been great <laughs> about, like she, I used to kind of make fun of her for how many, I kind of still do make fun of her for how many of these reusable water bottles she has around our house. And yet I'm like, Thank you. <laughs> like you're doing it better than me. And so I'm trying to be good with, you know, the, the reusable water and using uh, those things because again, it's, is it going to change the world? I don't know, but I know it's a chance for me to be faithful, um, today. And I know some of us might be saying, Hey, that's great, but is it really going to make that big of a difference? In fact, sometimes in the Christian world, sometimes even in my own heart, there is what I will call a sinking ship mentality, a kind of, well, it's all going downhill. Let's just wait for Jesus to come back and kind of not rearrange the decks on a sinking ship. But what I'm so grateful for is that the God whose image we bear is not a sinking ship God. He doesn't look at you. He doesn't look at me and say, well, that's a lost cause if I ever saw one. No, he presses in. We don't worship or follow a give up God. We follow a wait till you see what happens next God. And as his people, we get to join in this hopeful, redemptive work 
that when you even read the scripture and what Jesus' miracles were, where he was bringing healing, and it's just so cool of how much was, that was happening in the physical world, that following Jesus means we get to join in this redemptive, restorative, bringing his kingdom that will soon come permanently. We get to start ushering that in now. That we need to push against that sinking ship mentality. And at the end of the day, God will, uh, as we see in the Bible, he will create a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but I know we get to be a part of it. And I know we get to bring that with us even right here. We get to start that today. And so I want to ask you, how, what does it look like for you to be a better steward? Is it maybe just being more present and open? Is it being more curious or maybe kind of pushing against kind of a maybe a dismissive uh, sense when it comes to different facts? Or is it being faithful in some way today? Maybe it's in what you consume or what you advocate for or what you purchase or what you don't purchase. I, I can't tell you what that is, but I do know that as good stewards, that's what we're called to be. We're called to do what good stewards would do. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you. That we get to represent your reign and your rule and your restoration to a broken world. Help us do that faithfully. Press into our hearts. And give us the power to do it. Because when we look at the problems and the issues in our world, they can seem very overwhelming. But you're not a give up God. You're a wait to see what happens kind of God. And we're grateful that you do that in our own life. And that you use us to do that in your world. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us. Join us next week as we continue on in our series, Going There. Take care.